Welcome to Imago Day. We exist to multiply disciples in churches that live and look like Jesus wherever we're planted. And it's amazing to see visitors and people coming and, and uh, answering the Google ads and all those other things that we've put out. Uh, we're super grateful. We are about, I don't know, how many weeks in are we? Like eight weeks, seven weeks or something? Eight weeks, eight, eight weeks into this thing. So we've been meeting for about a year in homes, uh, kind of building a core group. And then we just launched meeting here on Sunday services about eight weeks ago. So we're still kind of figuring some things out. And it's been really good. It's been very sweet. So if you have your Bibles, open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter six. If you don't have a Bible, there's some Bibles back there on that little ladder deal over there. Ephesians chapter six is where we'll be at today. Ephesians chapter six. And the title of this message is the family, particularly, specifically, parents and children. Ephesians chapter 6. Please stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with the promise, that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. Verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You guys can be seated as we pray. Father, we're so grateful for your grace, and we're grateful for your mercy. God, we're grateful that you've called us to such a, a place here as in this local church building right now to be able to worship you and glorify you. And ultimately here today, God, we pray that you, your name would be lifted high, that your word would be handled correctly, um, that, God, you would challenge the hearts of all of us here in this room, um, that you would open our eyes and open our ears to your truth, that, God, we wouldn't leave here the same, but that we would be convicted and challenged and changed. So, God, we pray for your Holy Spirit to move. We pray, God, that you would um, do abundantly more than we could ever ask or think. And, God, as the preacher, I just pray that you would help me to get out of the way and allow you to speak, God, to, uh, to these people this morning. We pray for your blessing. We pray for your, uh, your favor with this message. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't think it's any um, coincidence. This week's been really kind of hard for me preparing this sermon. Uh, I don't think it's much of a coincidence because, uh, you know, it's on the family. And we know that how much there is uh, attack on the family and people trying to redefine the family and the culture today. And so I don't think that it's strange that it's kind of been a hard week for us um, as we've prepared this and we've kind of had some technical difficulties here and there. So I don't have much of an intro because I got a lot of ground to cover. And so we're going to kind of just jump right into this. Um, but if you've been with us, you know that we've been preaching through our values and through who we are as a church at Imago Day. And last week we preached on the family, but it was the marriage, right? The marriage part of the family, the husband and the wife. And and this week, as we're preaching through uh, on the family, we're preaching um, parents and children. And so we got to understand that the family is an institution established by God, one man and one woman for life, for the purpose of companionship. In marriage lays the boundaries in which sexual intimacy is to take place. It's where procreation happens or where maybe even adoption happens. It's where we raise godly children in a stable home. And finally, um, marriage is a, uh, a picture of, a beautiful picture of the relationship between Christ and his church, amen? And this week, we continue in the family with the relationship between children and parents. And it's important to know how God designed the family. And it's actually the most fundamental building block uh, uh, for society. The family, according to God, has an order, Christ, the husband, wife, and then children. There's much blessing when our house is ran in that fashion. 
And we know that Satan would love to dismantle our church by dividing our families here on these core facts. And we find it very important to preach this message today because God values the family so highly as he's established it, and likewise we value the family highly at Imago Dei. And our primary focus today is to expand on, uh, or expound on Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, trusting that through the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit and the preaching of the Word of God, we're going to walk out of here with a better understanding of the relationship between parents and children and being equipped, or will be equipped with the uh, appropriate tools to be the best father, to be the best mother, to be the best children, to be the best adult child that we can be not only for our families but for God. Kind of the, the thesis statement, I guess, of this is the family as God designed it is a representation of the gospel to all people. The family as God has designed it is a representation of the gospel to all people. Our first observation, obey your parents in the Lord. Paul starts off this section of scripture, this chapter with children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for it is right. And it's very important that he used the word children for a few reasons. And it seems that in Ephesus, it seems their presence in the congregation was sort of overlooked. It was taken for granted. See, the children are part of the Christian family. The children are part of the body of the local church. And if they are believers in Christ, then they are part of the church. So it's very important that Paul would address children here in Ephesians because it shows us the very place that our children have in the church, that they're included in corporate worship. They're here with us. They were in the very place that um, uh, the letter was being read, and which is kind of important, and I'll kind of get to this too, but we have activity sheets and stuff for the kids to follow along with the sermon and that back welcome center table when you walk in with crayons and all of that. It's the same verses and all of that stuff. So we keep them in here because we know from sections of scriptures like this that they're part of the corporate worship. So nowhere in the scriptures does it tell us to exclude our children from worship with the family. In fact, we do that sort of out of convenience, so that way we can kind of focus on the sermon as adults, you know, and uh, as parents, we, we want to have that time with the Lord, have that time with other believers to be able to focus, no distractions. Um, and so we do that kind of out of convenience. And here at Imago Day, we value gospel-centered corporate family worship. So that's why uh, at the time that they're able to make some like pretty rational decisions and understand some things, we like to keep them in the service with their parents. So about like age five or so, you know, give or take, and that's, that's God's kind of, or that's your guys's kind of conviction and leading. And it's in that, you know, as they're here in this worship service, that children learn to obey their parents in the worship setting, that they're hearing the consistent preaching of the word of God, that they're worshiping through raising their voices and singing to Jesus their king. They worship, uh, they, they join us in corporate prayer. They're, they're part of the fellowship of believers. They learn by example from their parents as they worship alongside them. That's why it's so important, parents, to sing. Sing like nobody's watching you. Sing to the top of your lungs as your children are standing beside you. So they learn, too, likewise, how to worship and sing praises to their king. And the next significant observation that we find with Paul addressing children is that we find Paul preaching exclusively to the lesser and marginal groups of society at the time. So in, in Ephesians chapter 5, we saw him have a great deal of a, a section on just wives, right? And then here in chapter 6, we see him talking about children. And then later in chapter 6 and verse 5, he'll talk about slaves. These were all people who were less privileged in the world back then. 
Like Jesus would, Paul elevates the importance of all of these people, displaying that the social differences of the, of the Jewish and Roman culture are actually transformed by the power of the gospel, amen? And giving the marginalized new rights, giving the marginalized new freedoms. And today is the same. It's the same today. No matter what culture you come from, if you've been transformed by the gospel, then you've begin, been given new rights and new freedoms, such as, for instance, if you come from a culture that says you can't eat this certain kind of food, when you come into a living relationship with Jesus Christ and you're transformed by the gospel, you are then given new rights and freedoms to be able to partake in all that God has made. But it's not just any sorts of rights and freedoms, but rights and freedoms that adhere to the teaching of Scripture. And Paul says, children, acknowledging them as part of the congregation, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. That word obey is a strong word, right? It's a, it's a good word. But like anything else, it can be abused in the wrong context. And I'm going to be talking about two contexts of children today. I'm going to be talking about children who are in the home, and I'm going to be talking about children who are out of the home, who are of age, you know, who are of legal, of legal age. And so what does it mean to obey? And how do, Christian, uh, how do children obey their parents in different contexts or seasons of life that they're in? So the verb obey is an intensification of the verb to listen. So when I say intensification, I want you to think of a word with like a dozen exclamation points on the end of it. It really intensifies it, right? So the word obey is an intensification of the verb to listen. It's to submit to what is heard by the one speaking the command. So children, to obey your parents, listen up, Veranda. Children, to obey your parents is to listen to the advice given to you, right, Anthony? And Paul says here in verse 1 that children are to obey their parents in the Lord, for this is right. The order of the family, Christ, the husband, the wife, the children, has been given to us and established by God. Therefore, any disobedience to this order deteriorates. It tears down the structure of the order that God has given us. And Paul says here in, in 6.1 that children have the duty to obey their parents because it is the order that God has established that they're realizing that both they and their parents are under the authority of Christ. And as Christians, we have an obligation to submit to the structure of the family that God has designed. We don't take part in dismantling it. We don't get to redefine it as we wish. So as children, we obey our parents in the Lord for this is right. Let's talk about the different contexts and seasons here because obeying your parents isn't necessarily the same for the child who's in the home, who's two, who's four, who's five, who's 10, and who's 17 as it is for the child who's outside of the home, who's 18 and 19 and 20 and 21. You never stop being your parent's child. You're always your parent's child. However, the, the obedience might look a little bit different. So, so children in the home, obedience is very simple. To obey your parents is to do exactly what they tell you to do without grumbling, without complaining, when they ask you to do it. Examples, if your parents have, have given you a curfew and they say, hey, be home at 10 o'clock and you're somewhere that's 15 minutes away and you better be leaving no later than 9.45. I mean, don't show up at 10.02. Don't show up at 10.05. Don't show up at 10.10. Don't show up at 10.01. Show up at 10 o'clock because God, or God has ordained your, your parents to be uh, authority over you under Christ, and they have told you, hey, be home at this time, so obey them by listening. If they tell you to brush your teeth and take a shower, take care of yourself, they're not doing that because they hate you and you stink and your teeth are nasty. No, they're doing that because they care for you, right? And they know, the, I don't want you to go to school with funky breath and smelling bad. We need you to, 
to brush your teeth and take care of yourself because I know better. I love you. This is the way that God's designed it to be. And disobeying your parents is breaking the divine law. And as part of the local church, you're not to tear down the order that God has established. See, I know it's hard to understand, but things need to be accepted by your parents, even if you don't quite understand them. Amen? They need to be accepted by your parents, even if you don't quite understand them at the time. Why? Because one, they're older and they're wiser. They've done made all those mistakes before. You're not going to pull a fast one over them. They already know. They know better than you. They're the authority over you, and ultimately you are all under the authority of Christ. So submit to your parents as you're submitting to the Lord. And one pastor wrote this, your parents, in a way, stand in for God when you are young. You learn to obey God and respect others by obeying your parents. How you obey your parents shows how you obey God. So children in the home, obey your parents because they're pointing you to someone greater an example, Christ. Now to the other side of the coin, the other part of the context, adulthood and culture is um, different no matter where you go or, you know, in the different places that you go. Jewish culture, you're 13 years old, they consider you an adult, right? But here in America, you're 18 years old, you're legally an adult. So at 18 years old, you have the legal right to move out of your home, whether you're married or not, whether you've gone to college or not. If you're 18 years old, you have the legal right to move out. And then as adult children, you become peers to your parents and not necessarily dependents. But how does this affect the instruction of Ephesians 6 for children to obey their parents? How do you obey your parents as adult children outside of the home? Adult children are obeying their parents when they continue in the instruction and discipline that they've received through all of those 18 years of being raised by them. When they've taught you not to steal, when they've taught you not to curse, not to fight for no reason, when they've taught you to follow Christ, when we continue in these things, in essence, we're still obeying our parents at 18, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years old when we continue in the things that they've taught us. And if parenting was done well, a majority of our decisions are based on the godly instruction that they have given us. However, if our parenting was done poorly, then we would obey the word of our Father God and not necessarily their instructions that they taught us growing up. Because I realize that here in this room, there's people such as me who maybe your parents didn't teach you to follow Christ. Maybe they taught you to fight. Maybe they taught you to steal or curse. And as uh, adult children, we don't obey our parents because mom and dad want me to do it. As adult children, we don't obey our parents because God imposes us to do it. As adult children, we don't obey our parents because the Bible says so to do it. As adult children, we obey our parents out of reverent love for Christ. Because we love Christ so much, we, we obey our parents. And our second observation here in this text, honor your father and your mother. I want you to notice this, that there's a difference between honoring and obeying. And what does it mean to honor? One definition from a commentary that I have puts honor as this. The form love assumes towards those who are placed above us by God. I thought, man, that was perfect. I've got to quote that because I couldn't say it any better. And so the way that I, I saw it as I was studying the original language was that it assigns value to something. Uh, to honor is to assign value to something. To honor reflects the personal value and preciousness of an object or person assigned to it by the beholder. For example, this Bible. This, I honor this Bible. 
This, I have assigned a value to this Bible that's worth more than anything. If they came today and they said, hey, we're taking all of your Bibles, you can't have any more free Bibles, but you have to pay a great price to, in order to keep one. I would empty everything that I had in my checking account to keep this word of God because I value it. I've assigned it value. It's worth more than life to me. But however, the person who maybe might be an unbeliever, who may not believe that this word is true, they wouldn't care right? They, they don't assign it value. They don't honor this Bible. And Paul is showing us here in Ephesians that as children, in the same way we are to honor, to value, to count as precious our parents. And by doing that, he quotes from the Old Testament, from the Ten Commandments. And, and, and he quotes there in verse 2, honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. In the Ten Commandments, the first four are commandments about our relationship with God. Did you guys understand that? In the Ten Commandments, the first four are commandments about our relationship with God. And the last five are commandments about our relationship with others. So the first four are relationship with God. Last five are relationship with others. Wedged right there in the middle is commandment number five, honor your father and your mother. It's the bridge, that it's the hinge between the two. Amen? The fifth commandment reflects both our relationship to God and our relationship to others. If we do not honor our father and our mother, then we simply do not honor God as we should and we essentially won't have respect for other people. And I want you to know this, that there's no age limit in honoring your parents. It doesn't matter if you're two, if you're five, if you're 12, if you're 80. There's no age limit in honoring your parents. Child or adult, the command is the same. The action might look a little bit different, but the command is the same. The young folk, uh, Anthony, Veranda, I'm just picking on y'all, cause, and Carlito and Jasmine, because I know y'all's names, right? You guys honor your parents by obeying what they say. It wouldn't be very honorable uh, to your parents if you didn't listen to what they said, right? So you honor your parents by obeying what they say, right, Jasmine? Amen, yeah. <laughs> But for adult children, however, as J.D. Greer says, we honor our parents through being who God designed us to be, even if it's going against their wishes for us. And you might say like, well, that's kind of weird. But I, and I'll kind of give you guys a little bit uh, how I got to that point and how, why I quoted J.D. Greer there. Um, hopefully, hopefully our parents have taught us above everything else to follow God and to be obedient to God above everything else, right? And so I'm saying this. Our parents have different wishes for us than what God might be calling us into, right? I mean, it happens all the time. For instance, I'll give you an, an example. Maybe you feel and you know that you know that you know that you know that God is calling you to plant a church. And yet your parents steps in and they say, I don't think that that's a good idea. Maybe you know that you know that you know that God is calling you to be a missionary. And your parent steps in and says, I don't want you to go. I don't want you to go because it's scary and it's dangerous over there in that country and I want you to save your life. I don't want you to go and put your life in danger. Maybe God's calling you to be in, in, in active service in the military and your parents want to step in and say, hey, 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 I don't want you to go because I want you, uh, I want you to be safe. I don't want you to go where it's dangerous. Don't be defeated when you answer God's call on your life. Amen. Don't be defeated when you answer God's call on your life because you're honoring your parents by obeying what God is telling you to do. And I promise they'll come around. Maybe God's gifted you in a particular area. And maybe God's calling you to use it. 
uh, and service for him and ministry for him. But there's a stigma in your family or there's a stigma in your culture that says, hey, we're all cops here. We're all military here. We're all lawyers or doctors or scientists here. We don't do that. We don't go and preach the word of God. We're not preachers. We're not music leaders. Well, honor your parents by obeying God because ultimately we obey God above men. I hope you guys can understand that kind of where I, where I got to with that. But adult children, if we're being who God has designed us to be and answering his call on our life, then we are obeying our parents but you might say to me, what about our parents who aren't Christian? What about our parents who are Christian? What about parents that aren't very honorable? What about parents that are dishonorable? How is it that we're to honor these different types of parents? And honestly, it doesn't change very much between the different types of parents. The only difference that I can see is the relationship that we have as believers with our parents who might be unbelievers or the relationship that we have as believers with our parents who might be believers. That changes a little bit. That that dynamic would dictate uh, a change in how we might interact with each other. However, the honoring remains the same. And as Christians, I want to give us 10 ways that we can honor our parents. And it should be up here on the screen. 10 ways that we can honor our parents. Number one, acknowledging that they are made in the image of God. After all, God has, God has created us in the image of God, uh, um, that, which means technically that, that we have value, that we have, uh, uh, we're worthy of, of dignity, that we have value, we have dignity, we're worthy of respect. So in the likewise, we treat others with the same kind of value and dignity and respect. And feel free to take a picture of it if you didn't bring your, your phone or your uh, notepad or anything. And number two, We can honor our parents by sharing in our mutual need for grace. I don't know about you, but I know I need a whole lot of grace every single day. Amen. And so do our parents. So acknowledging our mutual mutual need for grace. And that might be, maybe your parent's an unbeliever. The way that you can honor your parents is by sharing in that mutual need for grace, by sharing the gospel to them. By sharing the fact that Jesus came, he lived a sinless, perfect life, that he died on the cross, taking on our whole wrath of God. Uh, he, he, he was buried in a borrowed tomb, that he rose again after three days so that we too, through faith, could have everlasting life with him. Number three, adhering to God's design for relationships. Children who are in the home, that's noticing that God's design for the home is Christ, man, woman, child, and you don't get out of line with that. And I think even as mature believers, as adult Christians, we still have to recognize that, that our dad's our dad, our mom is our mom. And number four, it kind of ties right into that. We can honor our parents by respecting them as elders. After all, they're much older and wiser, and they're going through seasons of life right now that we haven't been through yet. And one day we're going to say, dad, mom, how did you make it through that? How did you do that? I need help in that. And hopefully they'll be able to help you. And number five, we can admire their labor. I don't, know about, I don't know about you, but I ain't no Georgia peach. You know, raising me was a hard thing to do. I was a wild kid, and, and I promise you what, like, as, as much of a knucklehead as my mom and my dad was, they had their hands full trying to raise me. And that's one thing that I need to look back and think of is I need to admire them for their hard work and their labor. Even though they aren't Christian, well, even though my mom wasn't a Christian then, uh, even though nobody ever raised me up in, in, in the church or anything or taught me about Christ, I still need to admire how hard they worked at trying to raise me and keep me fed. My dad was up at 4 a.m. every single day going to work to keep food on the table. He fed me and my brother and my sister well. In verse six, or in, in number six, 
The way that we can honor our parents is by praying for their needs. Each and every one of us have needs, and each and every one of us has things that, uh, that we need God to answer, so we need to pray for our parents, just as we would pray for another brother or sister. Number seven is, is calling them, including them in your life. Honor your parents. Number eight, we can honor our parents by allowing them to be grandparents. If you have children, allow them to be grandparents. If you don't have children, just allow them into your life. They're worthy of that. They are your parents after all. The ninth way that we can honor our parents is by caring for them in their old age. This is a tough one for some people to think that, man, I've lived my whole life and I've got my kids, I've raised my kids, and now I might have to move my elderly parents into the home with me or I might need to put out some money to get them into a home or or buy a house to put them into and get some people set up to care for them. The Bible tells us that if we do not care for our own, we're worse than an infidel. We're to care for our family. After all, they, they changed your butt, they took care of you, they made sure you're still alive today. <laughs> the day might come, you might have to do the same thing. And 10, we honor our parents through continually forgiving them. We're all sinners in need of grace. We've all made mistakes. We all parent in ways that suck at times. We all mess up, man. And then likewise, as Christians, we're called to forgive, Right? Now, I understand that there's some of us here in this room that have had bad experiences with their parents. Maybe they've been mean to you. Maybe, they, maybe they've lived a life of addiction and they ain't been really no parents at all. Maybe they've abandoned you. Maybe they, they're Christian and they're just very overbearing or maybe they're Christian and they're very legalistic. And maybe they've done terrible and unspeakable things to you. And I'm not saying that that's Okay. And I'm not agreeing with what they did. And I am not denying your pain. In fact, I feel it a lot more than what you know. I've had two very imperfect parents my whole entire life. I I don't ever remember them being in the same room together except when Naomi and I got married in 2020. And I'm just so glad I got that date right. In 2020, (laughs) not just kidding. I don't ever remember them being in the same room ever my whole life. But in 2020, when Naomi and I got married, they came to church and they were in the same room together. We went out to eat at the Cracker Barrel. We were in the same room together. It was amazing to see, but I, my whole life, they fought and, and fought over me in custody battles. I've had two, um, you, you know, imperfect parents as well. And I remember one year I got a letter from one of my parents. And in the letter it said this, and it changed my life forever. It was actually on the back of a coloring thing that you colored for me while I was in prison. And uh, he, he colored on it, and one of my parents wrote on the back, and, he, and they said, I'm not going to apologize because I did the very best I could with what I was going through. And it changed my life forever. Because here's the thing, if, if I was waiting on an apology to come to change the way that I felt, then it wouldn't make a difference. If I was going to honor my parents, then I needed to forgive them as Christ has forgiven me. Then I needed to shift my way of thinking from being angry towards them to having a passionate desire to see them come face to face with the living God who sent his son to die on the cross for them, who, who took on the wrath of God that we deserve so that all who believe in him can be set free from sin and death and experience eternal life with God our Savior. That's the way that I had to shift my way of thinking towards them. I needed to honor my parents by acknowledging their need for the gospel. By seeing that we're the same, that we're we're each made in God's image, that we're fallen in sin, and that we're desperately in need of grace. I am to honor my parents by praying for them and asking God to save them. And maybe that's you. Maybe you have unbelieving parents who really dropped the ball, who really sucked it up. 
I want to remind you that the same grace that saved you is the same grace that can save them, and it's the same grace that does forgive them if they are saved. I want to encourage you to honor your parents by seeing the commonalities between you and them and praying for their salvation, praying, you know, just for their forgiveness. And Maybe you had great parents who raised you, who nurtured you, who cared for you, who took you to church, who prayed with you. In fact, you're probably here today because your parents set the example and one day your faith in Christ became your own and you were saved. But still, I want you to remember that they're not perfect. Sure, they dropped the ball in a million different ways, but honor your parents by admiring the years of labor, of being your parent, by praying for them, by allowing them to be part of your life and your children's life, by calling them, and by honestly just forgiving them continually. The command of 70 times 7 that Jesus gives isn't void towards parents. It definitely includes them. Nobody's perfect. We all make mistakes, and we're all in need of forgiveness and grace. And Paul uses the Old Testament with the promise here to add a dash of seasoning to the obedience and the honoring that he's imposing upon the children. And this should really excite us because there is a blessing in what God has promised. In the Old Testament, the blessing was longevity and well-being in the land that God had given the Israelites. In the New Testament to the church, the blessing is the same, that it may go well with us and that we may have longevity of this present life. See, you guys, that it, that it is a gift from God. It's a blessing because God has promised it. Our obedience to godly biblical parenting promotes well-being and longevity. We're left to ourselves. We're at a serious disadvantage due to our sin nature for a more destructive life. Now our third and our final observation, I've wrapped this whole thing up, a command to fathers. Fathers, raise them up in the Lord in verse 4. Let me read that for us real quick. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Last week, when Aaron preached, he preached on marriage, and we saw this huge section, right, of for women, submit to your husbands, right? Like all these things, we saw him going through this, and he's like, man, this seems really out of balance, doesn't it? And then, and then Paul really lays the hammer down on the husband too, right? And this is kind of the same way. We see all of these commands for children, but then Paul makes sure to add that in there, to add that balance fathers fathers and the word specifically in this context speaks to male parents but in hebrews it's also been used to describe both parents so two things paul has been speaking of parents together previously here in the text so he does have both the father and the mother in mind in parenting because it is a team effort but also specifically he uses father here because the responsibility of the direction of the household is on our shoulders as fathers Primarily, the responsibility of discipline and instruction lays upon the shoulders of the father. And now this doesn't mean that the mother doesn't discipline and instruct. For me, as I'm here at, at work, uh, preparing sermons, meeting with people, um, fixing stuff, doing whatever it is that God has for me to do that day, and Naomi's at home with our son, Rev, she's all day long disciplining and instructing him. And I know that because he's a wild child right now at 17 months. All the time he's getting into stuff, hey, don't do that, see you later. Don't do that, that's bad, that's hot, don't touch this, don't touch that. All day long she's disciplining and instructing him. But that by no means, that does not mean that she's head of the household. By no means does the weight of the responsibility of discipline and instruction and direction fall on her shoulders. That's mine to bear. 
So I think Paul in writing this has both parents in mind as seen by the context, but he is laying the responsibility of the home on the shoulders of the father, on the head of the household. And I want to give you an Old Testament example. In 1 Samuel, I think it's in chapter 3, God held Eli responsible for not restraining his wicked sons when he knew the iniquity and the blasphemous actions that they took as priests of God. He held Eli responsible. Even though Eli wasn't the one who blasphemed God, even though Eli wasn't the one with wicked acts, Eli knew what his son was doing, what his sons was doing, and he did nothing about it at all. And God held him responsible. It would have been better if, if Eli would have done something but instead, he'd done nothing, and Eli was held responsible, for he was head of the home, and he did nothing to discipline, discipline his sons. Remember, God designed the family. He knows the order that it best functions. When fathers and husbands are weak, allowing their wives to, um, to take second chair, or to, when they, allowing their wives to lead the homes, bad things happen. When fathers are distracted by Facebook, video games, hunting, fishing, whatever it is that you've got, cars, trucks. When fathers are unfaithful, when they covet somebody else's wives or children or a different way of life, then they dismantle the very institution that God created in Genesis to be holy, multiplying and pointing others to Christ. And there's many roles and responsibilities of the father, but here in this text we see the primary responsibility of raising children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The, the, uh, the pagan and the Jewish parenting system of the first century looked at wives and they looked at children as next to nothing. They treated them with little respect. They ruled them like dictators. They rarely considered their well-being. And Paul addresses this saying that this ought not be the case. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger is what he says in verse 4. Christian fathers are not to lead the household in an unreasonable, domineering, demanding way that would lead their children to anger and resentment. Rather, we are to lead our household and raise our children in such a way that it mirrors the way that God leads and fathers us. Amen? And God leads and fathers us very firmly, very fairly, and very consistently. God leads and fathers us very firmly, very fairly, and very consistently with much gentleness, compassion, and love for us. Fathers, we are head of the house. We lead our wives to parent with us in such a way that it honors God as we raise our children together in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So what are some ways that we can do that? I have another set of, of, of 12 must-dos, and don't worry, the sermon's almost over, so hang in there. I told you I had a lot to say. I got 12 must-dos as Christian parents raising children and the discipline and instruction of the Lord. First, we must be gospel-centered. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ must be the center of everything that we do. Wherever we live, work, or play, the, 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 the gospel must be the center, our core being. We must do everything out of the gospel. Number two, we must be in God's designed order. When men take the second chair of leadership in their family, the, fle- the, the family suffers. When children rise up to take control over their parents and, and tell them how things are going to be, the family suffers and blessing is sure not to follow. Number three, we must work as a team. I have, uh, I have this really favorite military movie. I like to watch military movies. And in fact, when I see teamwork happen, I see it best in military strategies. Uh, do you guys know that movie, We Were Soldiers, with Mel Gibson in it? 
about the Vietnam War. He is my, like, that's my favorite movie. And he has this statement where he says, I'm going to be the first on the battlefield and I'm going to be the last off the battlefield or something along the lines of that. So in, in that same sense, he's the first one and the last off. And he recognizes during that movie the strengths and the weaknesses of those on his team. And they're just getting plummeled by the enemy this whole time. But he's able to keep morale up by recognizing strengths and recognizing weaknesses. And as leaders in our home, we must do the same thing. We must be on the front lines fighting with our family, recognizing the strengths and the weaknesses and the giftedness of our wives to work together as a team in order to parent as God designed us to. Amen? That means we don't contradict each other in parenting. That means if, if, I, if, if Naomi says one thing to Rev... I don't jump in there and say, hey, Naomi, that's not the way we're going to do this. No, no, no. We'll have that conversation behind closed doors, right? Where we can come together as a team and say, hey, this is the direction we want to go as parents. This is how we want to parent our son. This is how it's going to go. And then vice versa, if I say that it's going to be, hey, Rev, this is what's going to happen to you if you do that, Naomi can't step in there and say, you know, the same thing. Ah, we're not going to do that, hon. No, we need to have that conversation behind closed doors because we need to be on a united front. Number four, we must discipline in love, not ever out of anger. If you go to snatch your kid up and, and spank his behind for something that he's done, and you do it out of anger, you need to pause and wait. Don't do it out of anger, but do it as God does it, with love and correction and restoration. And now there's different stages of parenting, I know that. Uh, where you'll have to be quicker to say, hey, don't touch that, don't do this, that stove's hot, and you're doing that quickly, kind of being a benevolent dictator. But we shouldn't ever discipline out of anger. Number five, we must have longevity in mind. This isn't just to stop bad behaviors, parenting. It's not just to stop bad behaviors or, or to produce somebody who's going to grow up and be a millionaire or anything like that. But to be a Christian parent, we must have longevity in mind because our goal is to produce Christ's likeness. And as they grow more like Christ through discipline and instructions, they're going to be better men. They'll be better women. They'll be better husbands, better wives, better employees, etc. Number six, we must discipline differently as they grow. Like I said, um, you're not going to be spanking your teenager, right? You're, you're going to take things away from them. I see they're having one of those talks right now, like, I told you we weren't going to do that, you know? <laughs> no, you ain't going to be spanking your teenager. You might begin to discipline differently as you and your husband and wife have decided as they grow up. Number seven, we must recognize our mission field at home. We must recognize our mission field at home. So one of the worst mistakes that we have as Christians is to already assume that our children are believers. And we treat them walking through the whole stage of life as if they're Christians instead of looking at them like a mission field and they have the need to be evangelized. That means that we have these gospel-centered dinner table conversations. And one day when I get my dinner table built, I'll be able to have those conversations. It's a joke. So at my house, we've been working on stuff, right? I gave my table away a while back, and I'm like, oh, it's going to help me build that table my wife wants. It's been like six months. I still ain't built it. So everybody around here gives me heck for it. So you've got to have those gospel-centered dinner table conversations. And we must preach the gospel also in discipline. That might look like, hey, Rev, you did this, and I want you to know that that's sin. 
And Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And that Jesus, so preach the gospel in discipline even. Number eight, we must catechize our children. And by catechizing, I mean that you are instructing them through question and answers. So I gave you guys that book, right? Um, the Catechism for, for Kids by Tim Keller. That's short. It's one question, one answer kind of things. Who is God? It'll give an answer. What are we saved from? It'll give an answer, right? Just very short things. Question and answer. Catechize our children. Number nine, we must let them worship. It's in the worship setting, as I said, that they're learning from their parents, that they're under the preaching of the word of God, that they're worshiping God uh, uh, corporately, and that they'll raise up as mature Christians. Number 10, we must set the example. If your children never see you praying by yourself, if they never walk into the living room to see you reading your Bible, if you never take them to church, if they see this interaction that you have between each other as husband and his wife as negative, if they don't ever see you evangelizing to this person out here or, or seeking to treat others with respect, the example that you're leading them is not good. So we must set the example. Let them catch us in praying and reading. Let's take them to church. Number 11, we must ask for forgiveness. This is probably one of the most important parts of the must-dos as Christian parents. We must ask for forgiveness because here's the thing. It's important for our children to see our need for grace and mercy as well. If not, they're going to grow up thinking like, oh, he's so holier than thou. Oh, he, oh, he's got it all figured out. He's telling me what to do all the time. When's he ever need grace and mercy? So when I mess up as a parent and I parent wrongly, I go to Rev already and I say, hey, buddy, I know you don't understand me, but I'm sorry that I did this. I need you to forgive me because I do it wrong all the time. We must ask forgiveness. And 12, we must pray. Ultimately, God's the one who saves people, right? Ultimately, God's the one who changes the heart. So in our individual alone time, we have to ask God to save our children, to protect our children, and to help us, give us the wisdom to lead our children. We have to pray for our family as a whole. So our goal as Christian parents is to raise Christian children that will in turn raise more Christian children. It's not much different than our, our mission statement, multiplying disciples in churches that live and look like Jesus wherever we're planted. Our goal in raising children isn't necessarily behavior modification. However, our goal is a Christ-like transformation. Our goal in parenting isn't necessarily setting our children up for life in this world, but striving to ensure that they see the new heaven and the new earth and, and worship for all of eternity with the Lamb who was slain, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. Amen? We alone cannot save our children, but we can point them to the cross and pray that God would open their hearts to the gospel. The Old Testament is full of passages that can give us comfort to this. In Proverbs 14, 26, In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have refuge. In Proverbs 20, and verse 7, The righteous who walks in his integrity, of blessed are his children after him. In Psalm 112, 1 and 2 that we read today is our call of worship. Praise the Lord! Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed and as we close joanna you can come on up and um, get ready to close us out in a song but as we close i want you to take a moment to reflect on how you've been as a child veranda and anthony jasmine and carlito i want you to ask yourselves how have you been as a child to your parents all of us how have we been as an adult child to our parents I want you to take a moment to reflect on, you know, how have you been obeying your parents? 
How have we been honoring them as an adult? Fathers, how have we been leading our family? Fathers, how have we been leading our families? And over the last few weeks, we found how God has designed the family to operate. And He designs the family to operate in love and respect and obedience and honor and gentleness and compassion and the discipline and the instruction of the Lord all under the headship of Christ, under the authority of Christ. Man, wife, child, how is your family being led, fathers? I want to kind of close with a quick story. A man that I know, his name is Tim Goller. He discipled me uh, when I went through that freeway program and, and got out of prison. Tim Goller was a missionary in, in Iraq um, during the war and all of that stuff, right? And there in Iraq, they don't treat their um, wives and their children with much respect. But Tim Goller, he was an English teacher there, and he would show up, and he would go to a place, and he would take them here and there, wherever, and he would hold his wife's hand, and he would love his wife, and he would tell her sweet things, and he'd take his two little daughters, and he'd throw them up on his shoulders, and throw them up on his shoulders, and take them around, and these women would come to Tim, or not come to Tim, but come to Tim's wife, and they would ask Tim, why does your husband treat you with so much love? Why does your husband treat you with so much compassion? What's different about him? And then Tim's wife would get the opportunity to share, my husband's different because Jesus Christ has changed his life and transformed him. And he loves me as Christ loved the church and laid his life down for me. And he loves his children the same. And he raises them up in the instruction and the admonition of the Lord. They would come to him and come to her and say, why does he treat you different? The family as God has designed it to be will be a representation of the gospel to all people. As we restructure our family as God designed it to be fathers, we will lead in love. We will raise our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We will have an eternal impact on those around us. We will be the effective building block of society that God intended us to be, leading others to the cross that saves. The family that God has designed is a representation of the gospel to all people. Father, we love you, and we're grateful for your mercy. And God, I just pray this morning as Joanna begins to play and I've asked these thought-provoking questions, Lord, that each and every one of us in here would ponder, how have I been a child? How have I honored my parents? How am I obeying my parents? How am I loving my wife? How am I shepherding my home? How am I respecting and submitting to my husband? That we'd ask these thought-provoking questions and that, God, we would leave here united on the home front because like again, we know the devil would love to tear us down, God. They'd love to divide us as a church uh, on, that, on that point alone, that principle alone. So help us be strong in our hearts and in our families, God. And we pray, Father, that you would convict us and, 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 and restore us and help us, God, to walk out of here changed. We pray these things in faith in Jesus' name. Amen.